Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. This program is a series of different programs illustrating the different processes of ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. Today we're going to talk about acceptance. When I personally think of the word acceptance and ACT, I think of today's guest, Dr. Lance McCracken. Lance McCracken is a consultant clinical psychologist and psychology lead at the Input Pain Management Service at Guy's and St. Thomas NHS Foundation Trust in London. Now, Lance is actually an American. Uh, he was born and grew up in Massachusetts, and he has spent the last 20 years focusing on developing treatments for chronic pain, which he is uh, known all over the world for. Uh, first in the U.S., and then for the last 13 years in um, the U.K., uh, when he's done with work, he spends his time doing things like learning to ride a motorcycle around the streets of London, and he has, has, <laughs> and he has a practical road test on Monday. And he just told me he's sitting right now in in his London office, uh, finishing up some Gans, which he's tired. So I hope this program is going to uh, help him become a little more alert. Uh, Lance uh, has written several books, and one you might want to take a look at is called Mindfulness and Acceptance in Behavior Medicine. Uh, you can look more at this book and even other books by clicking on Lance's name. Uh, you can get to his homepage and get to this book. I want to welcome you, Lance. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Lance, it's a Saturday afternoon, and you're sitting there in your office in London. What are you doing? Well, um, I'm doing what um, most uh, busy academics wind up doing on at least part of their weekends, and that is I'm, I'm planning some work for the future, mm -hmm. thinking about some studies we'd like to do, and trying to see if there's a way for us to get the, the funds or the money we need to do these uh, studies. That's always a hassle for for people at universities. Yeah. Well, it's a necessary hassle, I'm afraid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lance, you know, I asked you to be on this program because um, I really do think of you when I think of the word acceptance. Uh, you and I both have a common interest of, of chronic pain, and the word acceptance uh, has a very deep meaning uh, for us when it comes to pain. You and I have both... Uh, um, worked with chronic pain for a long time, um, but just to start off this program, what what does acceptance mean to you personally? The the concept of acceptance. Well, I mean, I I I like simple synonyms as a as a way to think about um, 
as a way to think about acceptance. Um, synonyms, words like um, like openness, like uh, uh, doing acts of openness. Um, uh, also, words like uh, like defensiveness or defense. If you if you take the opposite of defense mm -hmm. or defensiveness, I think that's where you're you're getting into this territory of what is this. Uh, uh, acceptance and openness quality. That's that's what I th I think about mostly. What does it mean to you personally in your life? How, as as, ex as you have got into this acceptance during the you know, the last few decades, what what does it mean meant to you personally? This concept. Yeah, you know this has been a this has been a long um, a long time interest uh, for me. Um, it, it started way back in, in the mid '90s uh, when, when I stumbled on this word. At, at that time, I'd already um, been working as a psychologist. Um, but uh, the funny thing is, you, you spend this time with the word, use the word in your daily life, and, and in working with people. And the the more this word is in your vocabulary, the more it's an experience that you help create with other people. The more that it is in your life, is yeah. is is, um, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And um, I, I I thought about it just just a, a day or so ago. As it's it's like um, I, I say, like I didn't used to have a flat in London, but now I do have a flat in London. And so this flat in London is is a regular part of my life now. Mm -hmm. And and I can go there when I want to. It's always there in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of something I can lean on. It's something that has a real quality. And, and and increasingly, this acceptance thing, back to that, is something that I can do. I mean, it's, it's familiar, and it uh, it uh, it has a way of naturally entering into my life. When I when I run into things that are kind of feel uncomfortable, or difficult, or I get stuck on something. I, I can kind of lean in this direction and kind of pull this quality in for myself. Mm -hmm. So would that be? Would you describe that sort of as an approach, that uh, an opening up and going towards? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, approach is a, is definitely a word I would I would pull in associated with acceptance. It is like moving toward things rather than moving away from things. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's opening up. It's both of those things. It's um. It's softening. It's mm -hmm. like if you're going to struggle with something, it's um, dropping that struggling quality. I mean, all these things um, are sort of loose, um, loose ways to get at the kind of the spirit of, of acceptance, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, um, both you and I know that uh, people in pain uh, don't like this word acceptance. Um, yeah. uh, why is that? Um, I think that's very. This is very natural that people would not like it um, uh, because I think any of us who have ever had any difficulties have had the experience of saying something like, "Oh, don't worry about it," mm -hmm. or something like that, or just forget it. Mm -hmm. And and if you're really distressed or hurt, feeling about something. You, what makes it feel even worse is having that dismissed. Yeah. yeah. Like if someone is is, is not understanding um, your experience, if they're belittling it, mm -hmm. or, or as I say, seemingly kind of dismissing it. Mm -hmm. So, so, so that's one trouble. If if you if you just try to drop the word acceptance on people, it mm -hmm. sounds like 
you're not appreciating your feelings. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, that's something that we, you know, we're as careful as we can be, we, we try not to, to do that. Yeah, even worse than that, Lance, um, I was just in the States now and I saw a woman with a t-shirt um, and it said, uh, um, run cancer, we're going to run cancer out of town or I hate cancer. or And I, I was thinking, you know, it's that's sort of the opposite of acceptance, right? It is, yeah. And again, it's really normal. I mean, we're as humans, we're we're just we're designed this way. I think we have to sort of uh, come to grips with it. Uh, that when we don't like things, we we want to win over them. Uh, we don't want them to win over us. And uh, and uh, obviously, everyone likes to win. People don't like to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, uh, you know, if we if we if we if we take that attitude to everything. In some places, it doesn't work very well. Yeah. Yeah. What places are you thinking? I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking mostly of, generally speaking, any place it doesn't work and where it costs you more than it gives you. And I mean, obviously, chronic pain is one of these areas, um, and you know, without a doubt, um, the I think the way to tell the difference is if you keep fighting something. And it this consumes years of your life. Um, you, you you never win that fight, and all of your chances to do other things seem to be lost in the process. Mm-hmm. Then this begins to look like an occasion where this this fighting and trying to win um, by dominating something mm-hmm. isn't isn't working very well. No. And it, even I'm thinking, you know, this. Hatred towards the enemy of you know, whether it's pain or cancer. I mean, obviously, um, this is not what we uh, d- desirable that you want to have pain or, or cancer. But once it is there, uh, thinking I don't know what happens to the body, but when you hate something or treat something as the enemies, it must be that it's not helpful to your immune system or your system of healing, whatever yeah. it is that's going on. Yeah. That's true, isn't it? I mean, uh, I mean, we all, all of us, I think, get get worked up at one time or another about something that we perceive as uh, needing us to get worked up, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, in that, yeah, that's a very tiring process if you spend too much time like that. Surely, and your, I think your body does feel the effect of it. Eventually, sometimes we we do have to let ourselves settle down and sort of drop that, um, you know, that uh, aggressive or hate-filled or worked-up posture. Mm. I don't know if you have seen a definition. Uh, Eckhart Tolle has a definition of stress uh, in his uh, book, uh, The Power of Now. And and he says um, um, that uh, the definition is is resistance to the now. (laughs) I thought that was interesting. When something actually is present in you, uh, it, it makes no sense to resist it. Yeah. Inside of you. That's so true, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Doesn't stop us doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lenz, uh, you are um, an internationally known researcher uh, in chronic pain. So, t- how how common is chronic pain? Um, it's it's more common than people think. Probably, it's um, of course it depends on how you define it. But for researchers or academics like me. Uh, uh, we we say things like between one out of five people and one out of eight people 
just about anywhere in the world uh, has some kind of persistent pain mm -hmm. that is significant to them. And, mm -hmm. it, and in many cases, it has an, an effect on their life, too. So this is a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And... Um, uh, so it's it's difficult for people, but also for society and the healthcare system. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, uh, most in the U in the U.S. and in the U.K. and many other places, most people who who go to see their doctor, it's something about pain that brings them there. Now, it's not it's not always chronic pain, but it's something painful. Um, in terms of chronic pain, it's. It's it's a lot. It's a it's the it's amongst the top three uh, reasons, I guess, that people wind up seeing their doctor. That's a lot of GP visits. Lots of medications get taken. We did a study not too long ago, and we found that just in primary care, um, you know, people are taking three or more different tablets mm -hmm. only because of their pain, and that's mm -hmm. sort of a lot. And if you have to have medication for other things, that winds winds up being a quite a lot of um, quite a lot of medicines that you're taking every day that you have to organize and and uh, and so forth and then you know other other things like um, in, in in our work lives um, in work environments um, people's performances are decreased their ability to do their work efficiently is affected uh, uh, people lose jobs people retire and it's all because of uh, pain. In fact, in, in countries that provide people with replacement payments when they're not able to work, mm -hmm. so the government uh, supports you when you can't work. Mm -hmm. um, uh, chronic pain conditions are, are the number one uh, reason why people need to rely on the state to support them as opposed to going to work to earn a salary. So that's, that's a lot. That's a, that's a great expense. Lance, you've been working with us a long time, and you've probably seen thousands and thousands of of people with chronic pain during all these years. What, um, if you were to, you know, could you say simply, why do people get chronic pain? <sighs> simply, I wish I could. <laughs> I think I think everyone wants to know how could I just say this simply. Um, I mean, the one thing that I would emphasize, and of course I would emphasize this because this is my point of view. Um, I've been working the same point of view on the problem for so many years. It's 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 my natural habitat. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but my point of view is is that a great deal of it has to do with uh, behavior and psychological influences. Um, so it is obvious that there are biological pieces to this. There are also cultural pieces to this problem and social pieces to this problem. Um, so you can't deny all of those and. The brain is in there somewhere doing its part. So no matter how you slice uh, the things going on, there's many parts. Um, but, you know, the, the, the behavioral part and all of the psychological influences on behavior, I just think, is huge and, um, and very interesting. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, I mean, I always think that if we could understand this side even better, it holds really great potential to, to help people who have chronic pain to be less troubled by it and to, to function better. Mm -hmm. the, the, the interesting challenge that we have, though, um, is, that, uh, is that it's not so natural to look at a chronic pain problem as a behavioral problem with psychological influences mm -hmm. that are very important. Instead, 
we usually look at it as a brain and central nervous system problem or mm. as a biological problem, like I mentioned a second ago. So, um, so, so my main, so if I only had one sentence, I, I think I'd say learn to appreciate the role of behavior in psychology and you'll, 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 you'll go far with chronic pain. And how, how could you explain that to, it simply so, um, I- people understand the what 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 the behavioral principle what what do you mean by that yeah well i think there's a there's some there's a whole range of very natural things that happen when people have chronic pain mm-hmm. and um, most of these many of these things are in the actions that they take mm-hmm. um, and in our natural human responses mm-hmm. we start thinking about how frightening this is mm-hmm. we start thinking about what it will mean for our future Mm-hmm. We have natural emotional responses that become a part of that, and we begin to change our patterns of behavior, essentially to try to fix the problem and stop feeling the things that we don't want to feel. Okay. And once we start down this path, and this is an entirely natural place to go, mm-hmm. once we start down this path, for some people, this is a path that winds up in difficulty. For some people, they're okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would say that we still don't know very well how to separate, how to identify these two groups of people. That is the people who um, are highly distressed and whose behavior is changed a lot by their pain experience mm-hmm. and those who are not. Mm-hmm. But what does seem true is down the line when we, when we look at people, we can, we can see this history of, um, of fear, confusion, sadness, panic, um, changes in activity, a lot of withdrawal from normal activities and avoidance of things that are uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then um, just the natural results from going down that path. We get bored. We lose things. We feel sad. These influences get combined in with things that are already going on. And, you know, it's uh, it becomes a slippery slope um, to increasing difficulty, essentially. And then, you know, interactions with healthcare systems often help us get out of that. And sometimes they don't help us get out of that. And sometimes even um, they, they may even un, unwittingly uh, or sort of by accident uh, collaborate in, um, in, in, in holding us in a place where we're very stuck. Yeah. You know, it, it reminds me of a picture I saw that you showed. I think actually I stole it from you. That <laughs> um, it was, um, it said um, uh, um, that healthcare systems offer quick fix solutions to uh, complicated human problems that are mostly unsolvable I think was the way you wrote and it made me think of a uh, a history professor in from Uppsala who, who who was writing about chronic pain or in a, from a historical perspective and she writes this sentence uh, when pain was um, unavoidable it was bearable when pain became avoidable, it became unbearable. Yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking that you know the healthcare system um, actually teaches us. I mean, most if you go to any primary care center, uh, most all of the solutions, if not all of them, are about avoiding pain. I know. Yeah. I mean, I I'm always very I, I try um, as best I can to to be very. Um, to be very careful when I talk about this thing because none of us, because it's so easy for for people who listen to us to, to think of these things in very black and white terms. And and I, and I obviously things are not always black and white. Um, 
you know, I mean, people in our health services in our various countries are very caring and compassionate and very skillful in certain ways. You know, and I think we have to sort of give give credit for, for that side of things. And often that compassion and those skills, they produce good results. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we're saying here, sometimes they don't. And um, so there's, a, there's that other set of skills. Or really, the, in a sense, there's this other part of our culture that we need to build up um, that would um, that would allow us, um, uh, yeah, the, the ability to react to things like chronic pain in this in this in this other way. Mm-hmm. And that is um, sometimes to to leave it alone, mm-hmm. um, sometimes to simply include it in everything else that's going on and shift, um, you know, shift the focus onto other things in life. Uh, is maybe the way you could say it. So, Lance, uh, you have worked a long, long time with, with the concept of acceptance and chronic pain. Can you explain, uh, I know you've done many, many studies, but could you summarize I, I can, yeah. I mean, I, I can summarize a little bit about acceptance and what we've been doing with it. Yeah. Um, you know, we've you've been. I think I might have mentioned. You know, we, I've been doing this kind of stuff since about 1995. Mm. We first did a study on it, published it in 1998. It sounds like a long time ago um, today. Um, one one thing that we've always wanted to do is find a way to measure this so that uh, so that clinicians and researchers can find a way to track related processes try to find ways to create changes in these processes and then likewise um, measure when you've had an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's, what's, what's emerged interestingly from this kind of work, trying to develop ways to assess and track this thing we call acceptance is that it's emerged as a kind of a concept or as a kind of a, a, a psychological uh, process with two parts. Mm-hmm. And um, and this is actually an accident that it happened this way, but it's also kind of neat that it happened this way. Mm-hmm. And that is that it turns out that there's a that there's an engagement part or and a refraining part. That's mm-hmm. what I said. Or we, you could you could also say it's uh, some things you do and some things you don't do. And mm-hmm. if you take these things together, you get the whole process. Mm-hmm. And the things you do would include. Um, engaging in the kind of activities that you want to do, um, both when that includes things that are uncomfortable and when it doesn't. And when basically you're embracing the discomfort as part of doing, this is really part of that acceptance thing. Mm -hmm. So the other part, the not doing part or the refraining part, is the uh, you're doing what you want to do, but you're not struggling. Mm -hmm. You, you, You encounter things that you don't like, but you don't try to wrestle them to the ground. You don't try to control them. You don't try to get rid of them. You you uh, you you may notice the urge to do battle, mm-hmm. yet you sort of drop uh, you drop that urge. You don't follow it. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of what we've um, we found uh, is a useful way that again emerged totally accidentally. From, from studies we've done uh, over these years. Do you have an example of exactly what I mean? What that, those two parts might look like in, in a, a person that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, it's um, you know to take as one example in in uh, in treatment we often use physical exercises as parts of treatment. You know, people, most people, or at least many people, they kind of want to be fit. They want to be strong and flexible. They want their body to be able to do the kind of things that they're that they want to do in life. And so, 
So when people have spent years um, inactive, one helpful way to get active again is to begin some kind of program of physical exercise mm -hmm. very gradually, even if it's just walking and a bit of stretching. Mm -hmm. So um, naturally, if you've had pain for a long time, walking, walking upstairs, even standing up from a chair is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, so what we, what we train people to do is pay close attention to the, um, the experiences that are a part of uh, standing, walking, or so forth, and, and, and do the, the activity in a way where they're not resisting those experiences, but they're learning to just sort of allow the experiences to be present. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and, and part of this is, is, is learning to be very aware of the things that are happening to you as you engage in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So in a, in a sort of a, as one way to describe it, that's something that we do quite a lot of. And, and people learn basically observation skills and awareness skills, and they learn choosing skills. Because mm -hmm. there's my feet are moving in a direction, but my urge inside to brace and grimace and to push against this feeling is the part I'm not doing. I'm doing yeah. the, my feet moving part. I'm not doing the fighting part. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this so they'd be engaging in, in, in the exercise and then noticing the sensations um, uh, as sensations and I think in, in the you know the act part we talked about not identifying themselves as my pain or my and, and which starts off the thinking about the future, but just staying here and now with those sensations is that that's true that's right the the, the mind gets very busy making up all kinds of ideas about things. <laughs> Some of them are about the future. Um, and then just the way our minds tend to be designed. When we, when we, the, a lot of the stuff that happens in our minds, a lot of the stuff that we sort of get stuck on in our mind, it tends to have, it can have a kind of a scary or uncomfortable feeling. And, um, and oftentimes that scary and uncomfortable stuff that's in our thoughts about something dreadful happening. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it can have a real impact on, on how we feel and what, what we choose to do, while at the same time, the, 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 more, the other thing you're talking about, the experiences that are present in the moment mm -hmm. are very different from those thoughts and those mm -hmm. predictions. Um, and if we could stay oriented uh, better toward the things that are in the present, the activity is much easier to do. But if we if we become oriented to, towards something that's frightening, then then this is the this is the this, the actions that come out are determined accordingly. You know, we we retreat, for example, or we may we may stop what we're doing. Yeah, Lance, do you have an example? I mean, how actually you do that? Like, how would you teach someone to differentiate between um, uh, being in their head and the fear about the pain, or or actually being in the here and now with the sensation? Well, there's, there's, um, yeah, there's, there's many different ways that we, um, that we could do this. Um, we, we, um, we do mindfulness exercises. Many people know that mindfulness exercises um, are um, sometimes called meditation. Mm -hmm. And so, meditation and mindfulness exercises are, can be done in a lot of different ways. It can be walking or moving while you're doing them, or you could be sitting still while you're doing them. Mm -hmm. And um, again, kind of like we were saying earlier, these are more or less just ways to learn how to be more observant of what you're looking at, mm -hmm. to detect the difference between the different things that you're looking at, 
and to try to get closer to the things that you're looking at for what they what they are um, and noticing distinctions between that and the kind of thoughts that you have about them so that's mm. one kind of thing mm-hmm. um, we use we, we, we use metaphors I mean we, we talk about the difference between being in your mind versus using your senses mm-hmm. um, you know if you're using your eyes and your eyes are looking at things that material or those experiences are different than the kind of experience that you have in your head Mm-hmm. That may sound obvious on the one hand, but it's it's not a distinction that many of us practice making very often, and yet um, it can be very useful. Do you have an example of that? Like, how, what would you do with the difference between looking at something and conceptualizing it in your head? Um, do I have an example? I, I mean, I have a I have a very I have a very simple exercise that mm-hmm. takes about two minutes. Yeah, I, I could I could probably just say it out loud, and yeah. anyone listening could probably try it. Yeah, it's it is it is quite simple and quick. It does use um, your eyes and what you can see as a as a kind of like a metaphor or as like a comparison um, to other things that happen to us. If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. should I just do it? Yeah, should, do it. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. All right. So if you want to do this uh, uh, with us, with me, all you need to do is you take a finger, like your index finger, and you put it in front of your face, like mm-hmm. maybe uh, 12 inches away. Extend your arm a bit and put your finger there. Then stare at your finger and notice that your finger is clear. Mm-hmm. And now look beyond your finger. Pick something in the distance and focus on that. And notice that that's now clear. Mm-hmm and see what has happened to the finger. The finger is not gone, but it's less clear. Mm-hmm. Now, the other thing to notice is, is that you've just done something. You can change your focus, basically anytime you like. Mm-hmm. So notice sometimes we get stuck. Mm-hmm. And we might think it's because of this experience right in front of us. But this exercise reminds us that when you feel stuck like that, one thing that you can do is change your focus. Mm -hmm. This is not to get rid of your finger. This allows your finger to be there. Mm -hmm. But even when your finger's there, you can focus on other things. I like that lens because it, it's helpful to if you if you if you you know as you the, this example of engaging in activities it's much easier to engage if I'm not staring at my finger in front of me, but but watching where I'm going and but having the finger still there isn't it true yeah Lance we're getting towards the end of the program I wonder uh, you know that I live in Sweden and. Uh, you and I have talked about this often in uh, Europe as compared to the United States uh, with national health care um, uh, countries like in Scandinavia uh, that are you know probably more than any of the northern Europe but even more than in England have a free health care system and really does everything possible for people with chronic pain and uh, but despite that has you know I think it's a world record of people with chronic pain here in Scandinavia and people who are on sick leave for because of pain or stress. And I mean what what could we do on a larger scale to help people with um, in our healthcare system or in our schools? Yeah. I mean 
it's a big it's a big problem i i think um i mean i think one of the roots of this problem is that um it's not natural for us to sit with things that are uncomfortable it's it's sort of not a part of our culture so much um to learn that anxiety and sadness are are normal human experiences that often simply reflect that something important is happening mm-hmm. and they don't need to be fixed mm-hmm. and and even if we could go that far with sort of say emotions maybe feelings in our body are, are maybe in some ways even more challenging than that because sometimes they frighten us even more mm-hmm. um and and yet it doesn't seem to be something that we understand very well as a as a a human race i suppose and that is that um that uh, that pain and discomfort can be can be things that we can live with and that we don't have to fight with mm-hmm. and so um i i don't i don't mean all pain and discomfort obviously um but but there are certainly occasions when when the the more successful way to do things is is to is to recognize some of these experiences as as um as natural mm-hmm. and things that don't have to be fought. So, I mean, I think in in schools and training for healthcare providers and kids in school, everyone I think could I mean, I think a shift is possible. I I think for years we've been shifting the other way and that is as we go high tech, we think everything could be fixed with technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we haven't had is a way to, to to swing things in the other direction, and that is for us to learn, uh, you know, to develop our own human capacities. They're not they're not based on information technology and so forth. Mm-hmm. And and maybe maybe if we built up those skills, uh, we we could be more successful. And that would be skills like psych- psychological flexibility around discomfort and challenges and. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. How to learn how to be aware, um, you know, c- connected and, and guided by what we want to achieve and um, open to experiences and able to have them. Uh, yep, precisely. Mm-hmm. Uh, a final word, Lance. If, um, what, what could you, advice could you give our listeners about uh, acceptance and chronic pain? <laughs> Um, I, I think, I think uh, the main things that come to mind right now would 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 be probably uh, s- small, take small steps, mm-hmm. and uh, and practice. Uh, don't just make it a mental thing. Mm-hmm. See how you can put it into actions you can take. I think, even if they're small. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lance. It's my pleasure. And uh, I want to wish you good luck on that road test on your motorcycle <laughs> on Monday. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time on that Saturday afternoon and from your from your work. You have been listening to Dr. Lance McCracken. Uh, Lance is a consulting clinical psychologist and psychology lead at the Input Pain Management Service at Guy's and St. Thomas NHS Foundation Trust in London.
Uh, Lance is known for his work with chronic pain for the last 20 years and the last 13 in, in England. Um, if you want to take a look at Lance's work and this book that we mentioned called Mindfulness and Acceptance in Behavior Medicine, you can click on his name in this week's Act Taking Her to Hope. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain, Values in Action, and Epilepsy, a Behavior Medicine Approach to Assessment and Treatment in Children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.